0: This is a sermon that the uh, Apostle Peter preached that opened the floodgates to the kingdom of God. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, he stands up with the apostles and he preaches an important and lengthy sermon in which he begins those words by saying, We are not drunk as you all think. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes about quoting from Joel and then explaining exactly what the prophet Joel was saying. And so this passage in Joel 2 uh, is critically important for our understanding because the prophet speaks of these things. In such a way that the Apostle Peter could come along in the first century and say, this is what we've been waiting for. This is everything. This is the arrival of the promises of God, and that's what you've seen. And it is now being poured out, and then is a description, ultimately, of what the Christian age was going to be about. And so as we look at this, this text in Joel 2 this evening, it is important to see that we are reading about things that Peter comes along and says was everything that we were looking forward to when the Christ came. So let's look at this in Joel chapter 2 and we're going to begin uh, in verse 18 and get a feel of everything that, that Joel was talking about as he made these promises about what was coming. Joel 2 verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain and wine and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. And the stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, and the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he is given the early rain for your vindication he has poured down for you abundant rain the early and the latter rains as before the threshing floors shall be full of grain the vats shall overflow with wine and oil i'll restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten the hopper the destroyer and the cutter my great army which i sent among you you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord, your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and I am the Lord, your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Let's start there for our text for the moment. Now remember in the first two chapters of the book of Joel, you're hearing God saying, I am bringing these days of the Lord against you. First with an actual locust swarm in chapter one. In chapter two, the locusts are ultimately described as an army that would then be used by God to come along and bring judgment. And I think something that is fascinating to notice is you have had Joel tell the people you need to return to God. Tear your hearts, not your garments. Come back to me because who knows what God may do. He may leave you a blessing and be able to take away this judgment that has been pronounced. And notice how though verse 18 begins. And verse 18 doesn't say, okay, I'm waiting to see what you guys are all going to do. You'll notice that verse 18 then starts off with, and the Lord became jealous for his land and had compassion on his people. You have a picture of the character of God in which God is saying, I'm going to now do this for my own namesake and because of who I am. There is great things that are going to be done because of who I am and what I'm wanting to accomplish for my people. And I hope that one of the things you get a sense of as we read that is it is some vast pictures of reversal that is being promised as coming where you have a picture like in, in verse 19 to say now the grain and the oil and the, and the wine are going to come and notice the result of that is that the people are going to be satisfied you also see that it says they're not going to be approach among the nations verse 20 going to drive back these enemies these foreigners who have come in among you I'm going to send them away and you don't have to fear anymore verse 21 you'll be glad Because the Lord is doing great things. Verse 22, you'll notice that the vine and the fig tree are pictured as being restored, which we noted earlier was taken away and are emblematic, symbolic of the relationship between God and his people being separated when you take the vine and the fig tree away. Remember in the days of Solomon that we were told that everyone in Israel was sitting under their own vine and their own fig tree in First Kings chapter 4 picturing God just pouring out blessings on his people and they are prosperous and in relationship with God. And Joel 1 said, that's taken away. And now Joel 2 says, it's coming back. You're going to have the vine and the fig tree restored. Verses 23 and 24, a call for the people to be glad because God is going to pour out his rains upon the people again so that they will be able to be fruitful yet once more like in verse 24 notice overflowing with wine and oil and the complete restoration of the people in verse 25 i'm going to restore to you the years of everything that was wiped out everything the locust took i'm going to give it all back to you and it's all going to return fully in verse 25 such that he restates in verse 26 the people are going to eat and they're going to be satisfied And they're going to praise the name of the Lord and the Lord your God is going to be in your midst in verse 27 and you're going to know it and they will never be put to shame again. So you have this great picture of all of these blessings. Here's what I'm going to do now. Here's what is particularly interesting to observe in the middle of this. If I didn't read other things in the text. And a reading just like that, you would read that and go, okay, so whenever these armies are done and the people are back on the land, everything's going to be restored just as the way it was before. And they're going to have all the blessings and the rains and the oil and the fig tree and the wine and everything's going to come back the way it was. But there's an interesting thread that ran through that paragraph of some things that God says. For example, in chapter 2 and in verse 19, he says there, that the people are no longer going to be a a reproach among the nations. And again, in verse 26, he says that the people will never again be put to shame. And then again, he says it in verse 27, the people shall never again be put to shame. And so you read that, you go, well, isn't that kind of a problem to think about? How is God promising the nation and saying to them, I'm going to be in your midst, verse 27. You will never be put to shame again, verse 26 and verse 27. I'm going to make sure you're never a reproach among the nations, verse 19. When you think about the rest of Israel's history. Because they were a reproach among the nations when the Persian Empire was ruling over them. And when the Greek empire was ruling over them and when the Roman empire was ruling over them, that you constantly have subjugation of nations over them. And so how are they being set free so that God is in their midst and they would never be a reproach again and they would never have have a problem of being put to shame by the nations ever again. In fact, the imagery of driving them back all the way into the sea and all the way into the north is described by by Joel here in this section. And in fact, I want you to think about that problem because the problem is so strong. That that's why a lot of scholars read Joel 2 and they say, well, this prophecy hasn't happened yet. Now, the problem with that is Peter stands up and says, here it is. (laughs) Peter stands up and goes, it's happened. This is what we've been waiting for. These are the promises that God has ultimately given And so it is important to then be thinking about, well, when exactly is this happening? When is God pointing to, in particular, that Peter can stand up and say, well, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So I want you to hold that in your mind as you're thinking about these pictures and these promises. But clearly, one of the things that we are getting a sense of by reading this paragraph is that God was not looking for putting the physical restoration of all things back into the physical land but is using this imagery as a way of a restoration that God is going to bring about to his people and he's using the imagery of everything that was stripped away from them and saying I'm giving it all back to you so that you will overflow in them and did you notice the repetition of and you're going to be satisfied? You're going to be able to rest in God and be satisfied and have everything that was taken away from you. It's ultimately going to be restored. Well, the big question then that I think the people who would have heard these words would be, well, when is this going to happen and how is it going to happen? Well, Joel wasn't done. Listen to verse 28. Joel 2 verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on your male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. There shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, that among the survivors shall be these or those who the Lord calls. I will do my best not to completely geek out on this, this paragraph because I would like to do two hours right here of all of the, the fine details of how amazing this is. And just give you somewhat of the, the broad overview of what this is pointing to. So here is God saying restoration is coming. Well, what are we looking forward to? What's going to happen? And I want you to notice one of the important points of emphasis that is made in verses 28 and 29 is that there is no one being excluded in terms of this pouring out. It says there specifically in verse 28, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all people. And then notice how he drives that in verse 28. Sons and daughters, old men, young men, male servants female servants, just trying to drive in. It doesn't matter what your age was or your gender or your social standing. It doesn't matter who you are the people of God would all experience this. It was going to be poured out on all flesh. And I think that's such an important emphasis to see that these verses are saying that there is not gonna be just on a few or on a couple, but it would be on all people. It would be for everyone. That would be especially important to think about. It wouldn't only be a physical Israel context either, but it was going to be all flesh who would have access to, to this, Not only that, I think it's important to notice how this is described as a pouring, because what you have God describing is not, and so when I come and I'm going to bless you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dabble a little bit out for you. No, it's described as a pouring out an overwhelming that God is not going to just slightly bless his people, But this is going to be an overwhelming blessing of God's people that's going to happen when the spirit comes. And that blessing will be so great that that's what this paragraph is talking about. The people are going to be satisfied. They're going to be restored. Their enemies will be driven away. Everything that has been lost has been restored. Everything being renewed. It is everything that the people would be hoping for. Here is God saying, I'm going to have compassion on my people. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring them back to me and I'm going to restore things as if it were never lost and all flesh will be able to enjoy this. Now, as you think about this picture that's being prophesied, I hope that one of the places in your mind that might be you might be running to is how Jesus in a very summary way said the exact same thing. Remember Jesus on the last day of the feast in John 7 verse 37, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You might remember, I don't know, two years ago, we did a whole theme of overflow driven out of this very point that's being made right here. But then notice what what is said about this. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here is this picture being painted of Jesus talking about new life is coming. Rivers of living water. If you're thirsty, what am I going to do? Satisfy. I'm going to satisfy that thirst. I'm going to give you that new life. I'm going to restore what's lost. And then John in the gospel kind of does this parenthetical and says, now, he was talking about the spirit whom everybody was going to receive, but that hadn't happened yet. All right. So keep keep rolling with me on what this picture is doing and what an amazing picture ultimately it is. Now, I'll come back to this idea in, the, in a moment, but I want to draw your eyes back to Joel, too, because I want you to see what else is said is going to happen at this time. And then we'll pull this prophecy into its rightful place back in Joel, two in verse 30 says there, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. I hope when you now hear that language, you absolutely seize on that and go, I know what God is talking about. When I hear about the sun being dark and the moon turning to blood or stars falling from the sky, That this is always imagery of judgment. In fact, Joel used that very thing earlier back in chapter 2 in verse 10. And he's telling them about how this nation is going to be judged. He uses it again here. And what I want you to see is in the process of talking about all of the blessings that God is going to pour out on his people so that they are satisfied, they are blessed, they are restored. There are also declarations in verses thirty and thirty-one that says judgment's coming too. When the blessings are poured out, it's also going to be a time of God's judgment. Now, you might remember John the Baptizer ran around saying that, didn't he? John the Baptizer in John chapter three, verses ten through twelve, he comes along and says I'll use the words Jesus, but the one whom I'm unable to untie his sandals when he comes. There's going to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit and there's going to be a baptism of fire. And the very next sentence explains what he means by that. He says the wheat are going to be gathered into the barn, but the chaff is going to be burned with unquenchable fire. And so even as John is on the scene preparing for the way of the Lord, He's saying the same thing that Joel 2 was prophesying. A time of blessings is coming when the Christ comes, but also when Christ comes, it's also going to be a time of judgment. And notice then that's why you have the words of verse 32 in Joel 2. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So in the midst of saying blessings are coming and in the midst of saying judgment is coming, there is an offer of hope as this prophecy rounds out. And the prophecy is so whoever is willing to call on the name of the Lord They're the ones that are going to avoid this judgment and avoid this wrath and instead receive the blessings. In fact, again, I don't have time. I'm trying not to geek out, but it's really hard not to. That's what John is saying. Remember, here he is baptizing and here comes the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And what does John tell them? Brood of vipers who warned you of the wrath to come. Essentially, you're not any part of this. These who are coming to me to be saved from this, That's not not going to be you because you have ultimately been rejecting God all the while, which is what we've been looking at in the gospel of of Matthew in our study. Now, I want you to then ultimately see that what you have Joel prophesying is that God is proclaiming there's going to be this absolutely amazing spiritual renewal, a spiritual restoration in which The relationship between God and his people are restored. Life, blessings, satisfaction are all going to be found in him. And that's what all of these pictures are ultimately pointing to, is that here is what God's trying to offer you and wrath can be avoided. Now, I want you to think about this idea for a minute. So now you come forward to the first century. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he says, everybody, I have some amazing news for you. So here's what's happened. Everything that the prophets were promising about what God was going to do to restore his people to himself is now available, that the kingdom of God is open and the blessings of God are ready to be restored to you. All you need to do is simply come to him and you can enjoy blessings and restoration and relationship. You can find life in him. You can be restored to him and you can enjoy the blessings that he's been promised. Sounds good. Here's the big question. I think that would happen though is, well, how are they supposed to know that that's all available. And that's why Peter stands up in Acts 2 and verse 15 and says, this is that. Remember in that event, you have the apostles who've gathered there and we have the sound of the rushing mighty wind and the 12 apostles are able to now speak in different languages before them. And it causes all the people to gather and they're asking the question, what is this that's going on? What has just happened? And here is, remember some of them saying, well, you know, they're crazy, they're drunk. And Peter stands up in verse 15 and says, this is everything that has been promised. This is the visible cue for you to know that the promises of God are now open and now available to you. In fact, I think that is what is so interesting about how Peter rewords Joel's prophecy. Remember, Joel says there in Joel 2 and verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward. And what Peter does with that and says, and in the last days, (laughs) the time of Christ, those times are here. This is what you've been waiting for. When Christ comes, everything now has their doors opened of hope blessing restoration and renewal and what I'm going to do here for the next couple of minutes is show you how this prophecy is ultimately Peter giving his exposition of it in Joel chapter 2 so watch when you get to Acts 2 in verse 37 you might remember it says that they were cut to the heart which is amazing connection to Joel 2 because what did Joel say the people need to do Don't tear your clothes, tear your hearts. And now Peter has preached that very text to them and explained it to them. And we're told, and they were now cut to the heart. Their hearts are torn. They now ask, what should we do? And Peter begins, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins. And I want you to just think about that's another way of stating what Joel was asking for the people to do. How do we return to our God? What should we do now that we are broken by our sins? How are we supposed to return to God with all of our hearts? And Peter says, here's what that looks like. I want you to repent. And I want you to be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But watch what Peter then says next. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, this is the part we don't talk about too much because we go, what is that? What is it pointing to? What is he driving at? What is this promise that he says is for you and for your children? And for the far away, this promise that is made for everybody. And I'm just going to throw on the screen here a summary of everything that we just read in Joel. What was promised that was going to happen when the spirit comes? You will be satisfied in God. God is going to deal with your enemies. And what enemies did he really, is he driving at? Satan sin and death the vine and the fig tree are going to be restored symbolic of god back with his people restoring that relationship the abundant rain so that they will be fruitful how often is the scriptures talking about how we can be fruitful before god all of these were symbols of this relationship being restored and even the text of joel 2 saying Everything that you lost when the locust came is all coming back to you now. Everything that was was given to was taken away from you is now going to be restored to you so that you are able to eat and be satisfied. He is using that as a summary term and saying when the spirit comes, everything now opens the doors of life and restoration back to you, which is what Jesus stood up and said, come to me, you who are thirsty. Rivers of living water are available to you. Here is Peter standing up and saying, if you will repent, if you'll cut your heart and you'll be baptized, then you also can have access to the promises that God has been making through the prophets over time. In fact, I want you to even notice how he's still quoting from Joel here at the very end. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Did you notice that that's how the prophecy in Joel 2 ends? In Joel 2 verse 32, for in Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Peter is just doing almost a line-by-line exposition of Joel 2 here and saying everything that Joel was saying has come true. And if you were in the first century, you'd be like, well, how do you know? Because of that miraculous outpouring. That was the symbol, the sign to them to know. Again, I'll try not to geek out, but that was always the purpose of miracles. The purpose of miracles was always to confirm what the speaker was saying. That's always the intent of every work that was done. This shows I'm from God. This shows I'm saying, the very words of God. And the apostles stand up and do that so that they can say, The doors of life and restoration and blessing and satisfaction are now available because of this event that you've seen. And all flesh have access to this restoration. All flesh have access to this hope. There is no one who can be left out. In fact, Peter's own words to you, to your children, and even those who are afar off, as many as our God will call to himself. Here's how Paul summarized that to Titus in Titus chapter three and verse four. He said this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Do you feel the weight of Joel 2.18? I'm going to do this for my own name's sake. I'm going to have compassion on my people. I'm going to be jealous for the land again. God is going to do it because of his own character by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, he might be he, we might become heirs of according to the hope of eternal life. and people read that, what was poured out on us richly? I, I didn't keep sticking it back up there. Oh, that, that whole yellow bubble of everything that he had promised. Satisfaction in God, restoration of relationship, overflowing of blessings, entrance into covenant with him. Everything that had been lost because of the people's sins has now been put back together. And what I hope that you'll see is that what Paul is showing us and what Peter is showing us is that the offer is still to us. The offer for us to be satisfied in him is still available. The offer of us enjoying his rich provisions and his abundant blessings is still offered to us. That God is offering to take care of our greatest enemies and drive them into the sea, our enemies that separated us from having a relationship with God, sin, Satan, and death, that God is offering us reconciliation through his abundant compassion and mercy, and to even to come back to Joel chapter 2 and verse 27, and you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, God with us. In the name of Jesus himself, as you see in Matthew, as that's proclaimed, what does Emmanuel mean except God with us? And then we are told that God is with us and joined with us and we have this great relationship with him. If you're wanting the, you know, usually this is only a short line, but I had to make it a big one for you for the conclusion. Because this is what the whole point of what Joel was saying was going to happen and what Peter stands up and says, now everybody can have access to the offer that we can avoid judgment. We can enjoy his rich blessings. We can have our greatest enemies driven away and be reconciled to him if we'll turn our hearts to him and be washed in baptism. And that's all Peter was getting at was how all flesh, could enjoy the promises of God. I won't go here very far, but I'll say this. It is unfortunate how so much teaching about the Holy spirit has misused what the prophets were talking about and always default into, well, everybody's doing miracles and things like that. And that's not what the prophets were talking about. When the spirit comes, what's supposed to happen? The relationships restored, The covenant is renewed. The kingdom doors are open. The blessings of God are pouring out again. And the people of God can now be satisfied in God yet again, rather than being separated. That's what was being poured out on all flesh. And that is the hope that Peter says is to you as well. I hope that we will think about this great offer that God has ultimately given to us. This amazing offer is not something that is stale in the past, but is given to us as well. Who would not want to experience the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit? Who would not want to be in a relationship with God to have those blessings dispensed upon us? And friends, there's so much more that lies ahead. It is jarring to think about how in Ephesians chapter one, the Apostle Paul would say, and you understand that what we have right now is only a down payment, a deposit, a guarantee of the future things that we're going to have with God for all eternity. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. It is amazing, Lord that you would offer us so much even in the face of our sinfulness. That, Lord, you sent your prophet Joel to a people who were in complete rebellion to whom you said that judgment was worthy and due. And yet you still said, because of your own character and your own compassion for your people, You would offer for your people to come back to you. Lord, thank you for your amazing mercy. Thank you for sending your son that makes it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with you. Thank you for sending your son so that we can have the blessings restored, that we can have a covenant with you that we can call you our father, and that we can be your children. Lord, thank you for this great hope. And I pray, Lord, that this salvation will never be taken for granted in our hearts, but that we will always live our lives in light of the hope that lies ahead, as well as the salvation that we have now. And help us to see the rich blessings that you've given to us. And we thank you, Lord, that one of these great blessings is that we can speak to you and pray to you like this. And we thank you for the rich blessing of the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord, we confess our sins to you and we turn our hearts to you. And we pray that we would live lives faithfully to you the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to your Lord and Savior, Jesus, the offer that was made is promised by Joel and fulfilled in the first century by Peter, is offered to you as well. To turn away from your sins, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised to you and your children, to those who are far off the hope of restoration, blessings, and life is offered to you. If you'll come to him this very day. Won't you come now while while we think about that and while we stand and while we sing?